Hello, welcome to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure. I'm editor of the BMJ journal Injury Prevention, and each month I chat with a distinguished researcher or a practitioner about areas of their interest. Today we'll be chatting with Dr. Rebecca Spicer from Impact Research. Rebecca is an epidemiologist with extensive experience in research and evaluation in areas of injury control, automotive safety, and substance abuse prevention. She has expertise across the range of program and policy evaluation, study design, and cost analysis. We'll see from this range of experience and applications that we have an opportunity today to try and explore how researchers stay relevant, how they identify new and exciting solutions for important questions, and how their career takes place across a range of settings. There may not be one simple way forward for any of us, but Dr. Spicer shows us how to do it in a way that's inspiring, that's relevant, and that can pick up your individual passions and strengths wherever they lie. Hello, Becky. Hi, Rod. How are you doing? Hey, we've caught you in the middle of two conferences, I think, at the moment. Is that right? Yeah, we're between, uh, I'm between two conferences that are fairly important in my field, which is transportation research. Uh, the Transportation Research Board, their, um, their conference was last week, and this week is the, the uh, Government Industry Meeting for Automotive Safety, sponsored, uh, run by the Society for Automotive Engineers. Right. So tell me what uh, conferences mean to you. you. You say that they're important to you, they're big conferences. Why do academics go to conferences? Well, actually, I think that uh, it, it, it's more, it, there's, there's an exchange of ideas. Uh, for me, it's also getting new ideas. It allows me to kind of get outside my box and think a little bit about what other, other people are um, thinking about, studying. It's also about trying to get a handle on what's up, what's coming up emerging issues, et cetera, that I just can't get in my own little bubble. And, but actually really, really important is just simply the networking and seeing my colleagues that I know and meeting new colleagues, meeting colleagues that I've been on the phone with, but had never met in person. I think the networking piece of it for me is really, really important. And um, these conferences, the first one, the Transportation Research Board tends to be um, attended by academics, um, a lot of federal government uh, groups uh, like the CDC and the and NHTSA, but also um, um, by some of the automotive companies come. The government industry meeting, which is next week, has a lot of our clients, which are mostly the automotive companies. The, um, they, they come to that conference a lot, and so it's a good opportunity for us to network there also. So they're a little bit different in that way. All right. So you've told me a bit about what, but, but why? Why is it important for you to, to get these ideas? Uh, why can't you get them in your office? Well, we're in our offices. We're looking at our computers. We, you know, we have the folks that we nem- normally mix with, but we're in our own little bubble. And sometimes for me, the only way for me to think outside the box is to have people kind of triggering um, ideas that I hadn't thought of you know, the, or issues that I hadn't really been aware of. And um, also, sometimes there's that piece where 
um, that beautiful moment where someone comes and has an idea and I'm also working an idea and the two ideas would work so well together that that's the, that's the beautiful moment. Right. And that's, it's the, it's the passion or it's the excitement or it's the, it's the frisson between two clever brains which are working and then they clash and, and something comes out of it. That's, you're in a creative field, aren't you, in academic life? In a way, yeah. I think as sometimes people think epidemiologists are stuffy and boring, we're not. I mean, it's all about uh, trying to think about uh, new and creative ways to answer a question. So if we did trap you into a, a job which didn't allow you to express that creativity, uh, what would happen? I mean, how much are you an artist and how much are you a, uh, a production line worker? It's a good question. You know, I, I worked for 20 one 22 years at Pyre, the Pacific Institute for Research and Evaluation. We're, um, we're actually a fairly large company, but my little group, uh, headed by Ted Miller, um, was quite small. So I had a lot, and you know, Ted as a um, boss is, gives you, gave me a lot of space and room. So I think from the very beginning, I had just room to do what I really wanted to. And um, maybe that is why I am so fortunate to be where I am now as someone who allowed me to just go, go where I wanted to go with, um, with my ideas. And, um, and then this, this company I'm with now, I moved there five years ago. There, um, again, it's a, it's a very small group and I'm the only epidemiologist. I'm there with a mostly engineers. Um, uh, and so I am, so I'm, I'm the only one who does what I do. So again, I get to, I get to kind of be there and, and try to, um, just try to answer these questions that a lot of the automotive companies are coming up with that they're, they're just, they, they haven't really ever been able to adequately address just even just ideas on of risk and and the impact of technologies and how to study that right you say people think epidemiologists are boring um if they spoke to you they probably wouldn't realize you're an epidemiologist Uh, is communication one of your strengths um i think that it is it probably is communication is probably one of my strengths um i i i think that my love of the job comes from uh, working with people and um, not just the academic field, but getting my hands dirty in, in, in the real world, working with state health departments, uh, the Children's Safety Network. We, we spend a lot of time uh, doing technical assistance. So tell me about the Child Safety Network. This is not road safety, is it? Or is it? Well, Children's Safety Network... Um, is all injuries, childhood-related injuries, and um, Pyre holds that grant, and they do run the Economic and Data Analysis Resource Center. Um, and we, I actually think I came into that job in 1990, at Pyre, 1990, uh, 95, so a year after I got married, and uh, I think I was hired mostly to try to get a, run that program, and we continued that grant with the Maternal and Child Health Bureau, uh, as a collaborative uh, subcontractor to um, the EDC in Boston uh, through now. I think we still have that contract. Um, so it allowed um, the Children's Safety Network 
um, is a, it creates resources for anyone who wants to look at uh, or, or address childhood injury. Um, being the data center, we just got our hands dirty with the data and the analyses and also communicating the data. That actually is a really, that was, that had to be learned how to communicate what I was seeing in a way that people understood it and remembered it. Um, getting the facts across without bogging people down with the, the details. Um, so the Children's Safety Net was, was all about uh, communicating and created resources that people would want to look at and read. So I, I did the data. I would help create some of the tables. And then there was a whole team um, in Boston that put together beautiful um, fact sheets. And then eventually we moved into the web-based arena and uh, everything is web-based now. I mean, back in the 90s, we were creating paper fact sheets. That was, <laughs> that's what we did. I, I still have some of them. Um, and, um, so there it's a, it's a really great, um, group that has a lot of passion about preventing childhood injuries. And of course, motor vehicle traffic safety, uh, is so important as a leading killer of kids that it was always at the forefront. So it was, I was always involved in motor vehicle traffic, uh, inj related injuries. And it just, uh, now that's all I focus on. Unfortunately, we probably won't have time to track your career from the nineties. It's been a while. You have published quite a lot in economics as well, although you're not an economist. So I'm guessing Ted Mello, who's an economist, would have helped you with think through some of those issues. So how does epidemiology and data fit with the economics context in which that works? So the economic piece of it has been really important. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm really fortunate to have worked with Ted to, and he was a, a great mentor in showing me how to work with costs and communicate costs. Um, he, he developed really all the methodologies behind um, costing injuries that we were using now. Um, and then I, I understood those methodologies and I would apply the, the results. And, and it, it, was, it is actually more than just simply saying, applying this number of injuries times this, the cost per injury. Um, thinking a little bit about um, which costs to include, who your audience is, whether it's government or whether it's um, society, what costs you include that are relevant to that group. And then um, um, trying to, to communicate those costs as a, as a measure of burden. And it's really, costs are really, really key. Um, uh, Ted has made his costs work very accessible to the rest of the the field. Um, so you, and, um, and, and now I just focus on costing, costing motor vehicle crashes. Um, cost is an area that I think, um, would be, would, we, we, we would be better served if more of us understood how to use them and communicate them. Actually, the cost of injuries are compared to other, um, diseases are really quite dramatic, especially since it's affecting our youngest, our, more of our young, our youth and the, the, the younger populations and that so the the consequences the burden of that are well expressed by costs right so one of its one of the big advantages of doing costs is expressing the burden and then demonstrating it's a priority area right exactly yes yeah, so if, if you think about uh, even the work that i do in the journal when we do get cost studies presented there are only a handful of reviewers that uh, 
I couldn't lay my hands on to actually review them because there aren't very many of you out there in this field. Right, right. That was a lucky, lucky uh, skill that I learned um, from, from just working. And injuries do have a, a distinct set of characteristics which make the cost of injuries or the uh, health economics as it relates to injury uh, quite a specialist subfield, doesn't it, compared to health economics in general? Yeah, yeah, because the um, injuries uh, and the, the disability related to injuries is quite a burden. And to be able to express that in one unit, a cost, and uh, is is important. And then, and I, of course, you know, once you have the costs, you can do your cost analyses, cost benefit, cost effectiveness analyses. And those are those. That is what the decision makers listen to. That's what the politicians listen to. They listen to the costs. Um, they can't understand that the risk of an injury is four times if, if you're driving drunk or whatever. They want to know what the added burden is. So, Right. Yeah. And that idea of collecting a multiple outcomes inside a currency, a single unit like cost, works as well for different types of injuries, doesn't it? Bringing it together under a single unit because you can fragment injury across all of those hundreds and hundreds of different injury types in the uh, ICD-10. Uh, but if you can convert it to a common unit, you can then actually collect talk about them collectively. Yeah, spinal cord injury versus a broken arm. So what do, you, what do you see, if you were having this uh, mentor conversation with an early career researcher and uh, trying to excite them into the field, what would, I mean, difficult question, but where would you start to take the, the discussion? Um, I think we, we all know, we've been saying this for a long time, for decades in injury prevention, that our field uh, requires uh, a, a a collaboration between behavioral scientists, um, epidemiologists, uh, psychologists, um, engineers, um, all these different fields because it's and it's the the three E's: the engineering, education, and enforcement. Um, you know, we, we require enforcement. Yeah, so it requires the 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 law enforcement also to contribute. So, if I was talking to a student. Um, I have to say that my best advice would be maybe to to keep an open mind because um, I've I've landed in an area where there aren't many epidemiologists. I'm hanging out with engineers right now, and that has been extremely fulfilling. I like being a big fish in a small pond, so uh, I don't see many epidemiologists when I go to these conferences, and and so people listen to me because. We're getting a lot of credibility of epi as epidemiologists now in, in COVID days. People finally know what we do or somewhat what we do. Um, so I actually would, I actually think if, if students can, or people early in their careers, and it would require some networking, but make their way to beyond kind of our traditional uh, roles. In, traditionally, we're in health departments, nonprofits, and academia. And then I've the past five years I've landed in a, a for-profit company that works with car car manufacturers. It is so so fulfilling because we are making a difference. We're we're they hire us to to do research and understand how well their technologies are working, um, and it is it is so exciting. Right now we're evaluating the alcohol detection systems and vehicles, um, the field trials. 
it is so exciting to see my work actually make a difference. One of our um, clients put my research out there in their their um, in one of their press releases. It was so exciting. So um, so I I would encourage people to maybe just try to to look beyond what we've normally our normal um, companies that we work with. It's been really fulfilling. Um, a young someone early in their careers, if they think about where their passions are, if they really do like really enjoy um, uh, behavioral change and looking at the different models of behavioral change, well, find a a, a niche that um, that can really that you can apply that to that's that is is changing that you can kind of evolve in, try and get ahead of the the game and and see what the emerging issues is, and then you can really find your niche and, and, and make your way. That's what, that actually was what the economics really helped me with because there weren't, you're right. There aren't many, um, cost, uh, people in our field. And so it, it allowed me to kind of, uh, publish more, to, um, speak more, present my, my, my research more often. And, um, it was a nice little niche that I found, uh, in our field. So that actually would be my, my advice from my perspective. Yeah, no, that's that's really powerful. I think um, once you have a field and call it that, you can trap people a little bit, can't you? Yeah. And if instead you see yourself pursuing a goal and pursuing being able to make a contribution, and uh, then you find yourself moving in all sorts of places. And injury prevention occurs where engineers sit. They don't necessarily, injury prevention doesn't occur in this little area called injury. Uh, it occurs in the world, doesn't it? So if you can find your way into the world, then you can have yeah. an impact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, just the international injury prevention, I, I found that. That was that was where I started um, because we were overseas. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of, there are so many spaces for people who, injury, who are interested in injury prevention. Can I follow that last um, little comment of yours to close? Because uh, when you were overseas, you were in a non-motorized country, weren't you? And you're now doing automobile research. And those countries you're in have been going through this motorization, quite rapid motorization, uh, over the last little while. Can you reflect on, on differences of choices of transport and capabilities of different countries and where the risks are distributed in, in societies? So um, I spent four years in Thailand in the early 2000s um, and, and hooked up with the, the Ministry of Health there and the folks who, the small, itty-bitty team, the small, small team that was doing injury prevention. Um, and they had to focus on drowning and motor vehicles because those were the two things that really, they were going to focus on something, it was those. Um, the, the role, Americans are, are stunned at how many uh, motorcycles there are in, um, in Southeast Asia on the roads. And it's such a big problem. And while I was there, um, they were starting to get the helmet laws passed. So this was the early 2000s. Things are, get, things are better now. But to this day, I'm still working with um, my Thai colleagues in trying to help them strategize and think about how to uh, get more motorcycle safety policies implemented. Um, and and, and the, my, my colleague, Dr. Chamai Parn, reaches out to me all the time and we, we brainstorm a little bit about how she might 
the next the next steps that she could take to try to get the decision makers to put some of these policies in place, not just talk about it. So um, motorcycles, um, different forms of transportation, pet pedestrians, tuk-tuks, motorcycles, cars, buses, trucks, chaos. It's uh, and and then they start to they put these new roads into some of these developing countries, big beautiful roads, and 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 they don't. One of the consequences of that is that all of a sudden these cars they can't drive slowly; they can fly down the road, and you're getting in a whole new problem. So you, they think that they're putting these beautiful roads into place um, to, and they'll be safe. They won't. People are going to drive really fast unless the speeding's enforced. So I see all these um, kind of unintended consequences that developing uh, less developed countries are are dealing with, and it's it is a it is a still a huge burden. I I uh, those folks that are in the trenches there, I my hats off to them. It's it is difficult. Yes, we've been doing road safety for a while, but there's just still eons of work left to be done, isn't there? And challenges which we're still trying to quantify. So much work, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much, uh, Becky, for a, a fantastic half hour. Yeah, thank you. I think the idea sometimes of, um, it's all about that excitement you're talking about, I think. If you want to get something really, really good to happen, it has to come out of that passion. Has to be. You have to have passion. You have to have to be persistent, and you kind of have to sometimes just have to just plow through. It's not and just hold your ground. It it sometimes it just takes decades sometimes to make some changes happen. Yeah, and once you once you think you're you've got something, just as you say, keep going, because if yeah. you keep changing direction every time the wind changes, you'll find in ten years you've you haven't got anything to contribute. Whereas if you've just stuck yeah. to your guns. Exactly. Exactly. Agree. It'll it'll happen eventually. Just ah, it just takes work. Thank you. You've been listening to a discussion with Dr. Rebecca Spicer from Impact Research. For those of you wishing to learn more about some of the topics we've discussed today, I invite you to visit the journal's website at injuryprevention.bmj.com. Remember, you can download injury prevention podcasts from your preferred platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We'd welcome feedback, of course, on the topics we've discussed and any reviews you may wish to leave to help us make more relevant some of our podcasts to the areas of your interests. Thank you, and see you next month.